This is Charlie O'Shields, and welcome back to another episode of Sketching Stuff. In this episode, it's time to celebrate those little moments in life that make us smile and giggle. Those bits of life that are often so ridiculously commonplace, yet rather humorous when you take a moment to really think about them. Funny times spent with those who share your sense of humor are some of the best moments of all. These are my little observations that I hope remind you of some of your own fun memories. The best bits of life that make us smile bigger than ever before and realize just how wonderful the world can be when we approach it with delight and joy. It's in this state that we're often the most creative. And I hope you'll smile along with me as I share some of my giggle-worthy moments. Welcome to Sketching Stuff, a collection of stories sketched from life. Laughing until it hurts. I once tried to illustrate the concept of laughing, but since I don't enjoy painting people, it made it extra challenging, and we ended up with a wildly exuberant dog instead. I'm not sure dogs actually laugh, nor do they experience that uncontrollable laughter that leads us humans to fits of tears and stomach pains, but there's really nothing better, so it's no wonder that so many people report this as being one of life's favorite little pleasures. Not surprisingly, laughing until you pee a little didn't make the list, as though it's quite similar, it comes with embarrassingly unfortunate consequences. My favorite thing about falling into a fit of laughter is that the thing that takes you there is not usually even that funny in the first place. It's just a moment between you and that friend who knows you better than anyone should that triggers a comical chain reaction. I remember rolling on the floor with my friend from college, clutching my stomach while laughing uncontrollably, barely able to speak, yet managing to utter the words, it hurts to be happy. I tend to find humor in absolutely everything in life. This has gotten me into trouble on many occasions. If I find myself in the horrible circumstance of being surrounded by serious people, I nearly have to shut off my ears to avoid laughing at something. I usually end up giggling anyway and being shot those horrible, serious stares that are devoid of all understanding. Life to me is beautifully ridiculous. Not so much a poem or a love song, but a cherished joke we all love to tell. I can't imagine taking any of it too seriously, and really, what would be the fun in that anyway? I get this from my family, who have giggled their way through hard times, financial problems, and yes, even funerals. There is always something happy to focus on, no matter what bad things are happening in life. Always. It's simply a choice, and you'll always find me choosing happy. Once in college, I was completely out of money and found myself unexpectedly crying in the grocery store. The very idea of crying in a grocery was so perfectly stupid to me that I immediately started giggling. I then grabbed those sad ramen noodles I'd been eyeing and headed back to my cramped apartment to enjoy a feast fit for no one, laughing all the way. Sure, bad things happen, sometimes every day, but if you look at the world with an artist's eye, you'll always find that good outnumbers the bad. This, to me, means life is essentially wonderful and the bad things can't possibly be as important. If I get too stressed about something bad that's happening in my life, I'm letting something small opaque the greater meaning. Oh yeah, I don't proclaim to know the meaning of life at all. I just proclaim that it doesn't need one. Life doesn't have to be fully understood to be enjoyed. 
In fact, the mysteries are what makes life so terribly interesting in the first place and propel us to go on living it. Perhaps on that next turn we take around the bend, all will be revealed. So we journey onward, hoping to find the next clue as to what any of this means. And then, just as we think we know exactly what it's all about, something really dumb happens and we can't help but smile, then giggle, then guffaw, then yes, maybe even pee a little as we realize life has told yet another unfathomable joke that leaves us laughing until it hurts. Traveling by plane. When it comes to travel, riding on airplanes can be an adventure in itself. I typically prefer to have my own lovely assigned seat and don't enjoy being queued up like cattle, so I do sometimes avoid Southwest Airlines. There you have to hope you get far enough ahead in line to avoid getting the dreaded middle seat. You run risk of having someone who doesn't know how to sit in a seat properly and is always oozing into your personal space. This makes flying rather uncomfortable, but at least when you fly southwest, you can always count on some down-home honesty from the crew. I thought today I'd share some overheard conversations I captured on a single flight. Once while flying back from somewhere I can't even remember at the moment, I was tired, rushed, and bored, so I decided to ride a little to take my mind off things. Instead of journaling about my trip, I found myself fascinated with the conversations of the flight crew taking place all around me. It actually started before we even left the ground when the pilot crackled across the intercom with his initial greeting. Hey there, folks. We sure appreciate you traveling with us today, and we'll do what we can to get you there safely. I apologize for the lack of water in the airplane today in the labs. The water lines were all froze up. We do have some of that hand sanitizer back there for you, though, so that should do it. I made an immediate note not to order anything to drink, as there was no way I was going near that bathroom. To top it all off, I was starving and hadn't had a chance to eat anything yet. I got stuck on the very back of the plane and wasn't sure if there was any food left when the flight attendant finally made it back to me. We have two sandwiches left. What kind? We're not sure. Not sure? We switched caterers, so it could be chicken or it could be tuna. It's kind of mystery meat. I'll take them both, and I'll let you know what it is. Yes, please do. The sandwiches came and were indeed made from some lightly colored canned meat that tasted like neither chicken nor tuna. They just tasted like lumpy mayonnaise. They were incredibly messy and with the water situation I had no way to wash my hands so I just kept wiping them with a napkin stupidly as though that alone would remove the not quite chicken tuna smell from my fingers. As I was nearing the end of the flight, I overheard a conversation initiated by the flight attendant who had served me my mystery meat. This time she had a captive audience in the form of a woman at the back of the plane who sounded like she didn't want any part of the conversation. Did you know it's really economical to hunt your own meat? Oh, is it? Yes, and depending on how deer is prepared, I can't really tell the difference between that and cow meat. Oh, really? I had a roommate from California once that said, Oh my God, you're killing Bambi. Then I slipped it in her food and she loved it. Did she? 
Yeah, but when she found out, she yelled at me and told me she'd kill me in my sleep if I ever did it again, so, you know, I, I stopped. Needless to say, I suddenly began to wonder just what type of mystery meat was lurking in my sandwiches. But truthfully, I was having a blast. These were people who didn't seem to care about the proper thing to say and simply said whatever came to mind and went with it. In other words, they were actually my people. As I type this now, having no clue what I'm going to say next and not really editing what comes out, I appreciate this flight crew all the more. Saying what comes to mind and just being yourself is never really a bad thing. In fact, it can make a rather stressful flight somewhat more enjoyable, especially if you happen to be trapped in the middle seat. Pancakes for breakfast. I really had no idea what to do to wash in this particular post, so I just decided to share my breakfast with you. Every Saturday and Sunday, our morning ritual includes coffee along with pancakes with wild blueberries on top. Food is deceptively difficult for me to do to wash, and when you're dealing with blueberry juice, it's a fine line between making something that looks delectable and making something that looks like a pancake massacre. When Philippe first arrived from France, he made crepes, but soon discovered the American breakfast was much simpler to create. Granted, our breakfast stops here and doesn't include eggs, bacon, and steak, a mixture that seems grossly gluttonous unless you're running marathons daily or happen to be an actual elephant. Included on our menu is one serving of some show on Netflix, uh, since we don't have cable. Currently our show is The Property Brothers, where two twins sell people grotesquely shabby homes and help them renovate them into their dream home. Seeing these fixer-upper homes is truly a lesson in seeing just what some species of the human animal is capable of surviving in. And it's probably not the best choice to accompany food, but we ran out of Family Guy and had to watch something. After pancakes, we'll often run errands, which includes a trip to our nearby Costco. Timing is extremely important as we don't enjoy crowds, and so we try to get there as soon as they open. Costco is a veritable zoo of humanity when you show up at the wrong time. When Philippe first visited from Paris, he was watching people tasting their way through the store and asked, It's 3 p.m. Why are Americans always shoving food in their faces? Just as I was about to defend my country, a Costco employee set out a large plate of chicken wings as a six-person family appeared out of nowhere and we were almost trampled in the ensuing stampede. Oh, c'est propre, he said. It's an intellectual misery. My first thought was that he would be boarding the next plane for Paris, and I was regretting my decision to bring him to Costco so soon in our relationship. I knew I didn't have much time to get him out of there as there was another large crowd of people forming like vultures ready to attack the pizza rolls which were about to come out of the mini oven. As I hurriedly pushed the cart forward to leave, I nearly crashed into a woman in a mobility scooter blocking our exit. She glared at me like a prize fighter to make it perfectly clear she wasn't leaving without a pizza roll. Philippe looked horrified and I was left speechless and embarrassed for my country. In desperation, I screamed, meatballs, aisle three, as the hungry crowd moved in the opposite direction and we were able to make our escape. Thankfully, Philippe didn't rush back to Paris, but seeing America through his eyes is always illuminating. I just can't answer him as to why Americans always need to have a drink in their hand. Are they really that thirsty that they can't wait until they're home, he asks? I know this country is insane, but it can also be a lot of fun. 
just like having pancakes for breakfast. Children, now are very wise. They do a dental exercise. With your fingers, not your thumb. Practice to massage your gut. First above and then beneath. Takes good care of all your teeth. Keep in mind it's little run and give your teeth a long, long time. Making snow cones. Though I may have never gotten the Easy Bake Oven I wanted as a child, I did get several different ways to create my own shaved ice delicacies, otherwise known as snow cones. They seem to be called snow cones these days with a W, but back then it was hipper to drop the W and form a cool new misspelled word. My very first ice shaving toy was the Frosty Snowman Snow Cone Machine. The commercial for this mechanical wonder boasted the five different flavors you could serve and showed a boy popping ice cubes into Frosty's head. He then easily turns a red crank, which wasn't easy to turn at all in reality, and makes ice crystals spew out of the hole in Frosty's stomach while other little boys looked on, lashing their tongues out at Frosty rather creepily. Yeah, thinking back, commercials were really weird back then. But that was just the beginning, as more amazing ways to make these frozen treats were in my future. The second way to make snow cones was a revolutionary ice bird, which involved a completely different concept. With this little wonder, you got a little red and yellow duck wearing yellow earmuffs. This one had a special container to freeze a giant log of ice. You would then start frantically rubbing the duck on the ice block like you were grating cheese until the cup inside was filled up with ice. You could then take the cup out and add the flavored syrup of your choice. Red flavor was my favorite and featured in the commercial on this one. It wasn't really cherry, just red flavored, and it looked like black goo on my black and white television. But what it lacked in flavor it made up for in sheer enjoyment of making snow cones with a cute duck. Like so many things then and now, the process was so much more fun than the result. By the end of the 70s, the ultimate shaved ice marvel was released in the form of the Snoopy Snow Cone Machine, which is still available today. In this version, the ice spewed out of a doghouse rather than the character itself, which is probably why it was more popular. And by this point, things had progressed a bit, and the commercial showed both girls and boys enjoying the wondrous invention together. This machine was really just the frosty one all over again with a beagle on top, but it was cooler just because it was Snoopy. It was a blast to create your own edible masterpieces with these things. This was also the closest I ever came to cooking, probably because I should have received that Easy Bake Oven instead. But it was a blast to make these frozen treats all by myself, and though it may not have been a culinary treat like a cupcake or a pie, I still have very fond memories of making snow cones. The Sweat Bee. So I decided to doodle wash something potentially creepy again. This time I tried to capture the likeness of Philippe's arch nemesis. 
we've enjoyed slightly warmer weather lately and have been able to sit on our terrace at dinner. Unfortunately, we are continually joined by an unwanted dinner guest in the form of an insidiously persistent sweat bee. The humorous part is that it's usually just a single bee, though I know it's likely always a different one, so it seems truly like being visited by the same one. Without fail, we'll be sitting down to eat outside, and Philippe will suddenly jump up from the table and spin around in circles, waving his arms. The evil sweat bee has returned to attempt to ruin another calm and relaxing evening. When the sweat bee first showed up to dinner, Philippe would begin by politely shooing it away uh, with his hands, as you might anyone who showed up to dinner uninvited. This seemed to work for a while, but then the bee would return shortly after as though he thought he may have misread the signs and the shooing meant, why yes, that chair right over there, we've been saving it for you. Things took an ugly turn for Philippe and the guests that wouldn't leave when the sweat bee's cousin had shown up drunk on sweat and nearly died on the deck. Phineas ended up stepping on it with his paw and got stung, which caused us him to limp for the next few hours. Seeing his baby in pain was the final straw for Philippe, and the politeness immediately ceased. It was time for this villainous sweat bee to go away permanently. The battle began first with an eco-friendly and, of course, dog-friendly spray. When the evil sweat bee would arrive, one of us was meant to quickly grab the bottle while the other shielded the wine and spray the beast. It was also dramatic that in my haste to try it for the first time, I had the cap backwards and ended up spraying myself in the face. Philippe returned with, oh, c'est pas vrai, which translates to many things, including, no way, I don't believe it, and in this instance, I can't believe I married this idiot. The spray did nothing to deter the sweat bee who seemed to enjoy the fragrance, so it was time to up the ante. Philippe ran to the basement and came back with a little spray bottle I once bought for watercolor because I thought I might use it one day. He filled it with white vinegar and rushed back outside holding it like an undercover pocket pistol. When the bee visited, he spun around in circles spraying vinegar everywhere before stopping to ask, did I get it? As the bee completely unharmed buzzed by my face, I said no, but you did manage to douche the deck. We sat back to the smell of strong vinegar in our noses, and although the bee didn't return, it was a shallow victory, because everything we ate or drank now tasted like salad. The evil sweat bee hasn't returned since that incident, so I think the smell was equally offensive to him. Either that, or he flew off to another outdoor dinner party where the hosts were more accommodating, actually invited friends over, and were not so weirdly violent. Perhaps the bee is also somewhere nicer, and he can now be found sitting by a luxurious pool, sipping on a sweaty cocktail. He's finished his last sip and immediately getting angry with a pool boy who's slow with his next drink, holding up his tiny little fists and shouting to the sun, Oh, c'est pas vrai! Waiting for the bubble to pop. When I was a kid, I thought bubblegum was a ton of fun. Though ordinary gum was lovely, back then a good piece of bubblegum was really the ultimate joy. It had to be a great brand, of course, capable of producing large and sturdy bubbles. My friends and I used to hold contests to see who could blow the largest bubbles. We'd stand in a little circle and shout, go, and the contest would begin. 
Of course, this was really only the beginning of the fun. As the bubbles grew and grew in size, expressions of joy turned to mild fear mixed with excitement. Though we wanted our bubbles to grow to gigantic proportions and win the game, we knew that at some point, nearly impossible to anticipate, the bubbles would ultimately pop all over our faces and hair. In this game, the winner was actually the loser as well, but the hysterical laughter amongst friends really made everyone feel like they'd won in the end. And without keeping score, we'd peel off our bubble faces and have another go. There are so many things in life that feel like this sort of game. Certainly painting with watercolor is similar in many ways. Each splash of paint adds more and more to the page, and there's so much excitement as the image begins to appear. This, yes, is mixed with a tiny bit or sometimes a lot of fear, thinking we will go too far and mess things up. For me, this is not really scary, but actually exhilarating. Just like when I'm hanging out with friends on the playground blowing bubbles. If everything blows up in a sticky mess, who the heck cares? Just have a good giggle and jump right back in and do it again. To me, this is what it means to paint like a kid again. I never put pressure on myself to get it right the first time because it's only a bit of paper and paint after all. There's more where that came from and I can always simply start again. That said, I almost never do. The thought that I could try again is enough to remove those silly fears and I end up happily sketching and painting away and then post whatever happened on that first attempt. I don't actually take my sketches seriously. I take them gleefully. It's way more fun that way. And truly, if you're sketching a slinky or a boy about to pop a bubble, there's really no other way to approach it. But even if you're painting a beautiful bouquet of flowers or a stunning landscape, it's still more fun to lose the stress and just play. The results will always be better in the end when we let ourselves off the hook and just create for the sheer joy of it, no matter what we're trying to make. Sure, some days it feels like we made a mess of things, but making messes is how we learn. And sometimes what seems like a mess to us is something other people adore when we show it to them. We're always our own worst critics, so I've learned to just ignore me when I tell myself that something isn't good enough. It's always good enough and sometimes rather cool. So I just keep going back for more and more no matter what, just like when I was a kid. Life can be terrifyingly fun when you're waiting for the bubble to pop. Thanks so much for listening to the Sketching Stuff podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, and new episodes will be added bi-weekly. Visit me at sketchingstuff.com to share your comments and stories. 